passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty, and we are here ahead of the third weekend of the season, and it's uh, it's been quite an exciting couple of weeks so far, Peter, uh, but this third weekend, I'm I'm really ready for, for this one. It's uh, the most loaded weekend of the slate so far. It's always one of the, the biggest weekends uh, before conference play starts just in terms of tournaments, rivalry series, big time, like major uh, program squaring off kind of series. So we're going to get into that. Uh, got a, several different uh, things to watch this weekend. But we also do want to talk a little bit about the week that was. Some big things around the country, of course. There was uh, Hagen Smith going crazy last Friday in Arlington. Uh, Arkansas and Oregon State put on a, a, a great show at Globe Life Field. We have ECU taking down UNC in what was the series so far of the very young season. And uh, yeah, so we're, we've got a lot to talk about from last week as well, Peter. It's uh, it's just exciting that we've got, uh, we're really getting into the heart of the the action now. Yeah, we're in full swing. Um, it's It's been a fun season so far with great performances on both the team level and individual level. Um, like you said, there were some notable things that happened last weekend, but um, this is the, in terms of early weekends, this upcoming weekend is one that I've had circled um, since all of the schedules have been out. It's a, it is a loaded slate, both at both for multi-team events in these tournaments and also on a, on, on just a, a one-on-one series level. Well, let's uh, let's start with Hagen Smith uh, and that 17 strikeout performance on Friday night against Oregon State. Uh, that was incredible. He struck out the first five innings. Every out he recorded was via strikeout. He looked like he should be pitching for the Rangers, not for the Razorbacks, uh, on Friday, and it was it was everything you would want to see from your preseason All-American ace if you're Arkansas, and especially so considering that his opening weekend start was just one inning. It was not good. He threw 42 pitches uh, and had to be lifted after that against James Madison at home. And 
you know, after the game, Dave Van Horn said like nothing was wrong with, with Smith and he, you know, hypothesized a couple of things that might've happened, but uh, like nothing was, was, was wrong with him uh, physically. And so we wanted to see what it was going to be like having to face one of the best offenses in the country in Oregon state on the big stage at globe life. And what it was, was everything that Hagen Smith can be. Uh, It was, it was a spectacular outing. Those 17 strikeouts in six innings, just remarkable. And uh, Arkansas did win the game, though Hagen Smith did not factor in the decision because once Oregon State got him out of the game, they were able to to uh, do some damage against the bullpen, tied the game at four. Uh, Arkansas, however, they they did win. Uh, they 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 get their their last run late. They go on to win five to four, and it was uh, it was an epic game just in terms of, you know, individual performance from Hagen Smith and then just the, the way the, the game as a whole went down. It was, it was everything you would want in a, in a college baseball game. It was an instant classic. And in the early going, um, that had more of a super regional college world series type feel to it. And I wouldn't be shocked in the slightest. Um, if one of, if not both those two teams are in Omaha, um, come the end of the year and playing each other. But the story obviously is Hagen Smith. I admittedly am not, I, I don't have years and years of experience just cause I'm, <laughs> I, I I'm young, but that's the best in game pitching performance. If not like right there, um, that I've ever seen. Um, it was dominant masterful in every sense of the word. It was, it left me speechless and granted I, I and a lot of others weren't watching it live because it was on flow sports. Um, but the Arkansas Twitter account did a great job of regularly posting videos and all of that, but it was outstanding. He was up to a hundred with his fastball. Um, he was sitting 97, 99 for the entirety of his outing with plenty of life through the zone. The mid to high 80s slider was lethal. It was a, a no doubt plus pitch. It generated a ton of whiffs. Um, it looked like he was just, I mean, it was complete blinders down attack mode. Like he was on complete cruise control. Um, and the command and control were both impeccable. It was, it, it's far beyond even describing it as like a bounce back outing from a rough first inning against James Madison. Like it, 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 it bolstered his draft case. Um, and I think he now becomes one of, if not the most exciting arm to follow, certainly one of very few arms, um, that's like the most exciting to follow going forward in the draft cycle, but it was absolutely incredible. Um, he, it it was, again, I was, I was speechless and, um, I'm sure you were as well, but that was a, a heck of a bounce back effort from, from Mr. Smith. So don't apologize for like getting caught up and saying that was the best one you'd ever seen just because you're, you're on the younger side. Uh, there were people older than you that frankly should know better uh, that were saying the same thing. And I like, I don't want to downplay what Hagen Smith did at all here. Uh, it's going to sound like I will in a second, but I, I promise that's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, Steven Strasburg struck out 23 batters in a game once and uh, Kamar Rocker threw a no hitter with like 19 strikeouts in a super regional and Ty Floyd struck out 17 in the college world series finals last year. Like 
<laughs> what Smith did in six innings, incredible. I'm not trying to take oh, anything away from him. But, like, the people that are saying, like, that's the best start ever, like, ah, you know, like, the, the level uh, of pressure that he's doing it at in the regular season is just different from what like Floyd or, or rocker was doing. And like, I don't want to compare anyone to Steven Strasburg and it's tough to compare across like the era of college baseball that we're talking about. And also like Steven Strasburg did it in a conference game, but it was against Utah when they were in the mountain West versus Smith doing it against Oregon state, a lineup that we think is one of the best in the country right now. And, you know, is an Omaha caliber team. So like, it's hard to compare these things, but like, I, I, like, I didn't want to pour cold water on it on Friday night, but I, I would like people just to like, take a step back. I know that's not what Twitter is for, but like, it was awesome. It just doesn't have to be like, you know, the greatest thing ever. Now, if it's the best thing you've seen, like that's different. Just to put this into context, like it was really cool. It was awesome. But a dude did strike out 17 in the College World Series finals just a year ago. And like, yeah, it took Ty Floyd eight innings to do it, but also it was the College World Series finals and he was facing Florida. So, you know, like, yeah, when when I cool said, too. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was decent. And we both were watching that one together um, and it was incredible. It, it When I said one of the Floyd one was what I was thinking of. And then honestly, the ski skeins and louder um, in, oh, in their yeah, matchups. Uh, yeah like on a game level obviously that is that's one of the best um but then both of those pitching matchups in and of themselves were also excellent and then i think what adds to what hagan smith did he could have done this against any team in the country um at the division one level and it would have been remarkable baseball's the hardest sport in the world but the fact that he did it against oregon state where it's an omaha level team Early on, it's looking like they have one of, if not the best lineup in college baseball. I think it just adds to the impressiveness. So, um, uh, unbelievable outing. What I want to ask uh, before we move on from from Smith is, who, like, is he the best college pitcher on the draft board right now? Like, is that too much? Um, I know, obviously... You know, coming into the season, he was he was quite highly regarded. Uh, Chase Burns has been really good out of the gate, but who 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 would you have number one right now if you're if you're just ranking college starting pitchers in the the twenty four draft class? Whew. that's a good question. I that's a very good question, actually. I recency bias plays into it. That's a very good question, and I can't stall because it'd be bad listening for the podcast. <laughs> um, you know what? I darn. Oh, I'll stick. I'll. Oh my lord! I'll stick with Chase Burns. I got Chase Burns one A, Hagen Smith one B. As you can tell by my long, long winded, very articulate answer, um, it is like splitting hairs. It's extremely tough to decide. Um, the Smith outing was that loud. You've got a six, three lefty who he was already like, he was a strong kid with physicality last year, but he looks more of like a workhorse this year. Um, and, and you've got a, a left-handed pitcher that I'm pretty convinced, um, is going to be a starter at the next level. 
you get the little lefty bonus. You've got a plus slider, borderline plus plus slider, plus heater from the left side. And then you flip over to Burns. Um, you've got this high-waisted, another prototypical pitcher build with a, again, fastball slider combination with both, I think, grading out as double plus, a budding third option, and a changeup. But it is really hard to to kind of pick one or the other. I think that no matter who is picking up in those first 12 or so, 12 to 15 or so picks, they're going to be happy with wherever if Burns and or Hartle or excuse me, if Burns and or Smith are on the board for him. So it's it's very difficult. But those two guys would be my top ones right now. And you can flip them uh, either way. And I would not disagree with you. I like gun to my head. It's Burns right now. But if hard if if I don't know why I keep saying Josh Hartle, if Hagen Smith can keep stacking these outings and granted, he's not going to go out and throw six shutout innings and allow two hits and strike out 17 every weekend. If he does that, he's going one, one, um, but he's not going to do it. If he can kind of maintain the same themes though, largely that he flashed on Friday, um, that's only going to just keep strengthening his case to warrant a potential top 10 overall pick. Like the command and control, like he was dotting everything. If he can keep showing, advanced command and control that's going to help him the advanced pitch sequencing that's all going to help him um and just solidify himself as a starter but those two guys at the top and then i guess a sleeper third one right now for me is jonathan santucci not that you asked but um he's one that i think is like lurking in that conversation not i i think when all is said and done he might be like on the outside looking in in terms of number one arm but um i think that he is closer than a lot of people think the big thing for me with uh, Smith in that outing and going forward is like, yeah, okay, he was throwing 99 and the slider was absurd, but it was really that control and the command portion of it because that's been the downfall of him in the past. And the consistency, like you said, like doing not that because <laughs> like he's not going to do that again, but doing something like that, just showing the the consistent strike throwing ability and the, the ability to throw the pitches where he wants them like that. That's going to be what what pushes him up. And like the same can be said for Burns, like the, those are both of their bugaboos. Like nobody has ever questioned either of their stuff. It's about like, well, how consistent can you be and how many strikes can you throw with your incredible like raw stuff so that's that's what you're watching going forward if you're if you're you know watching arkansas or or wake forest and and those two guys specifically no i was just gonna say to like smith on friday to the command and control point like catcher could have told him to hit a specific lace on his on his catcher's mitt and he would have hit it but um yeah i'm excited to see how he does going forward the rest of the arkansas rotation showed up very well as well the rest of the weekend. Brady Tiger the following day, and then Mason Molina threw five hitless uh, against Michigan, uh, overmatched Michigan, on Sunday. And it looked like Arkansas might have the best rotation in the country. I mean, you can we can sit here and debate them versus Wake Forest or if somebody wanted to throw somebody else into the mix, like, uh, I suppose. But, like, really, it's it's those two right now. Uh, and we don't have to debate that now. It's not not a debate worth having on February 28th. However, I do think it's very notable that Arkansas's rotation 
came out and performed that way because right now Arkansas's offense uh, is a little slow out of the gate. And like that was kind of to be expected. It's a new look offense. Uh, they replaced a lot of guys, but the, if the rotation is going to do that, you don't need Arkansas to be one of the best offenses in the country. You just need them to be functional. And, you know, they went two and one on the weekend. They got caught in a game against Oklahoma state. They lost two to one in extras. And like, that's kind of the concern if the offense doesn't figure things out, but the good news is it's February 28th and Oklahoma state's really good. But I, I do think that, you know, those two developments, both the, the offensive, like, they didn't score that many runs in Globe Life in any of the three games, but the 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 rotation showing up the way that I, it did, I I think those two developments were notable for the Razorbacks. Extremely loud and Tiger. When talking about Tiger and Molina following suit with Smith, Tiger like on paper has the more electric arm talent and the electric stuff. You meant like with the banger curveball, he's got a solid fastball, and then Molina is the kind of pitch ability lefty, but I mean, he flashed a four pitch mix um, really, really knows how to pitch, which was super impressive. Not just, like I was impressed with him in the, in his first two years at Texas tech, just with how he knows how to pitch the pitch ability aspect of it. Um, the pitch sequencing and he flashed that um, and start number two for Arkansas. And I think that at this point, when you talk about the best rotations, it it's them and wake. Um, for sure. Uh, and I, I, I think that at this point, like there is a very strong case for the Razorbacks, but you can't go wrong with either. And then beyond the rotation, they have a bevy of bullpen weapons as well. Uh, namely I, I, Gabe Gackle is one kid that he's going to be a serious, serious problem, um, for a few years in the sec. Like he is in electric little right-hander, advanced strike thrower um, fastball up in the upper nineties with a hammer breaking ball with sharp downward teeth, um, really good pitch traits to it. Um, Jake Faraday is thunderous stuff. Gage Wood has been excellent in the early going. Um, Will McIntyre has been really good. And when you combine those, that the, the plethora of weapons they have on the mound and, in offense, like you said, it hasn't really gotten going yet, but I do feel confident in guys like Vahevo, Loy picking it up, Hudson White picking it up. Ty Wilmsmeyer, I think, is going to be kind of your steady Eddie type of guy. We've mentioned him a few times as someone who's going to contribute in a number of ways and can contribute in a number of ways, whether it's with his glove, um, driving a ball into a gap stealing a couple bases like he's just a he's just a good baseball player and i know it's a simple phrase but um he's just a very solid player and then i think that you have to be happy with the production early on from guys like jared sprague lot kennel Diggs, peyton holt's a fun little player uh it is a like speaking to how good they are not only was that win against oregon state extremely impressive but I know when we were doing our ranking on Sunday night, our weekly ranking call, if they had come out of this weekend three and oh, like there would have been discussion having them perhaps as the number one team in the country. I don't know if it would have happened, but we would have talked about it. So um I'm very, very bullish on the hogs going forward. They don't they've got a pretty light schedule as they head into SEC play. So I I I'll be looking for 
the offense as a whole to get into more of a rhythm, particularly the few guys that we had mentioned that were off to slower starts, but it's hard not to be thrilled in, in Fayetteville right now. Yeah, we went long on the hogs there, but uh, that's probably the last time we're going to talk about them for like two weeks. So there's uh, there's your Arkansas <laughs> update for. Uh, I was for hoping a... we'd go in depth on the on the the Murray State series next week, but yeah, well, that's uh, got, you got that one circled. We'll uh, we'll <laughs> we'll definitely have to have to dive into that one as well. Oregon State, I feel like had just about as impressive a week as anyone in the country, maybe more than, um, and that's even after getting just you know, like totally owned by Hagen Smith for six innings. Uh, but they beat Texas Tech in a midweek. They added a win against Minnesota on Monday, um, finishing up their their time in Arizona. Uh, and then they go and they win. They bounce back and they win on, on Saturday and Sunday. And they took care of Oklahoma State and Michigan quite handily in Arlington. And I don't have a ton of new ground to cover on Oregon State. I just want to say that, like, you just heard how excited we are about Arkansas and how much like how good we feel about them. But like the team that that Oregon State lost to like is really, really good. And I feel like Oregon State was like right there with them. And it took like a Herculean effort by the Arkansas pitching staff to hold off Oregon State. Like, I mean, you don't want to have happen for the first six innings. Like how you don't want that to happen to you as an offense. But I do think it's notable that that's what it took to slow Oregon state down. And like Arkansas still only got out of there with a one run win. Yeah. And like you said, Oregon state didn't even, they hardly put the ball in play for two thirds of the game. And they lost a one run battle to, to one of the best teams in the country. And granted they're probably never again this year going to get into a game um, like that, where it's that much of a, a pitcher's duel and they're getting carved like that. Uh, that lineup is extremely good. I think that what's going to be key for them and what is huge news looming. I actually, I have no Intel and I'm not like trying to drop a foreshadow here, but is what happened with Aiden may uh, the severity or lack thereof of whatever he was dealing with on Friday. He came out of the game after four and a thirds inning uh, he looked good at times, gave up three runs, but slider really flashed, had his mid-90s fastball going. It's it's an arm you can feel really confident in and excited about trotting out there on Fridays, and I think that if it's a severe injury, which, again, I have no clue as to the I, It doesn't sound like it. Mitch Canham the next day made it sound like he just kind of didn't feel right, so they got him out, um, but, like until he pitches this Friday, like it's hard to know, you know? Right. And like this early to your point, if your guy is feeling any sort of discomfort in any part of his body, like you're going to yank him, even in a a, a great game as the one we had on Friday night, um, there is zero reason to leave someone in. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Travis Bazana for me right now is my one, one. Um, I know that's a crazy hot take, but, just, I mean, as as good of a hitter, and and in my mind, the best hitter in the country. Uh, barrel control is off the charts. It's thunderous bat and hand speed. Just a super super explosive operation, um, with a, an outstanding approach. I just, I mean, we could go on and on about him and his play style, but um, 
an immense fan, a huge fan of Bazana. And then you mentioned the supporting cast around him um, has been like, we, we were high on the Beavers coming into the year and the depth they had on both sides of the baseball, but the offense as a whole is somehow exceeding the expectations. At least I had like Micah McDowell has been great. Trent Caraway has hit the ground running, not as much as another freshman in the country that we'll talk about, but Brady Casper, Gavin Turley, huge early on has like the tools with Turley are undeniable. Like he is in the 2025 class. He is one of the more tooled out kids. He's just got to put it together so far. He's, he's put it together largely. And, and we've all seen the statistical output. He's been from a production standpoint, the team's most productive hitter um, with 13 RBIs, Mason Guerra, has also driven in 13 like they can beat you in in so so many ways and they're comfortable getting into any style of game and the one spark plug who is yet to get going and I hope and think he will um is Elijah Hanlon shortstop uh fun player can run he's a twitchy athlete I liked his his hit ability last year at Washington State just He's gotten off to a slow start, uh, but I, I, I hope and think he'll pick it up. And then they have beyond May on the mound. They've got a number of weapons, both in the rotation of the bullpen. It's a very, very um, complete team. Elsewhere, we had East Carolina taking on North Carolina in a cross-state series. They started with, um, like, as great as, as Arkansas and Oregon State was on Friday night. Like, if that hadn't happened, everyone would have been talking about how good ECU-UNC was on Friday night because that game was awesome. Uh, UNC won 2-1. to one. The they It was 1-1 to one in the eighth inning when Vance Honeycutt came up and hit a homer to left to give UNC the, the edge. Uh, UNC uh, you know, closes the door in the ninth. They, uh, they get the win. Then ECU came back the next two days and they won uh, both of those games. They... they take the middle game like relatively easily, at least by the standards of this series uh, in the neutral sider, they, they played it um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina in the minor league park there. And then they go to Greenville for the finale and ECU gets an early lead. But then once they got into their bullpen, they really had trouble stopping UNC's offense and the game just went back and forth. And both of these teams, like literally in, in every half inning, the lead was changing. They were just throwing like these huge haymakers uh, you know, home run, clutch home runs, clutch hits, just everything. Nobody could get control of the game. And so, of course, because ECU had the bat last, they win 10 to 9. True freshman Bristol Carter with the the walk-off hit there. But, I mean, really, like, if they had kept playing, like, ECU would have coughed up that lead and UNC would have then coughed up their lead. It just would have kept going forever, I feel like. Uh, it was a fantastic series. ECU comes out with a huge series win. Uh, they really needed something like that on their on their resume if they're going to, uh, you know, look at hosting because the American probably is not going to provide an opportunity like this. So it's only February, but ECU kind of needed that one. And they went out and they got it despite a really tough Friday night loss in Chapel Hill. Yeah, I, the last point you made is a great one. And it's a great series win in the moment. You beat a, a, a top 16 team in the country and a rival at that it's a really hard fought win but this is this series win is gonna it, it, it will stick with them for the entirety of the season and then also 
as we get into the postseason and and sorting out where everyone ends up seating wise, it's going to serve them really well. And I was impressed all weekend really by both teams. Um, but I, I, it's hard to not, um, be excited about the pirates early on and, and even UNC, but I really like the one, two punch that ECU has on the mound of Trey Savage and Zach root. You Savage is again, the, they're two different looks, um, thunderous fastball from Trey up to, 97 98 with two distinct breaking balls that really flash the split changeup on Friday night was actually super, super impressive. He didn't have great feel for his curveball. Um, slider was solid, but I was most impressed with that split change that he mixed in. And then with Zach root, um, really impressive left-hander is yet to allow an earned run this year or a run in general. Um, it, advanced command and control, fastball up to 95 with a plus change up. And then Jake Hunter has also been really good. The pitching staff as a whole, other than a couple of weird wonky appearances where they got hit a little bit, namely Danny Beal, who is usually excellent for them. Um, it, they've also been very, very solid in the early going. And then offensively, we alluded to it in last week's podcast. And, and I know I did in my weekly, what to watch for piece, but where the production was going to come from outside of JJC, Jacob Jenkins, Coart, and Carter Cunningham. And you saw guys like Jacob Starling step up. Uh, Bristol Carter obviously came through with a huge series winning hit. Riley Johnson. Um, it's a really fun, like really fun, really good team um, that I think once you get into a postseason format too, they're going to battle like crazy and they have, the pitching depth to sustain a really deep run, I think. And they t- they tripped a little bit yesterday or depending on when you're listening to this two days ago uh, against old dominion, but old dominion's always solid. You can't really ding a team too much for a midweek loss. Like I know that doesn't really affect how I felt about them felt felt about them coming out of the weekend, but um, very impressed with them. UNC I think is also a very high quality club. They can really swing it pitching. I was impressed with Folger Bose's ability to battle and go toe to toe with Trey Savage. Um, and they've got a number of weapons themselves. So two really fun teams. That was an, an outstanding series that, that, that finale, like you said, it was kind of like a, like a big 12 football vibe in the later innings. Like it was just punch after punch. And, and, and I'm with you that if, that whoever was hitting last was going to win. So uh, a, a perfect ending to what was a great weekend. I don't want to sit here and deep dive the UNC pitching staff too much right now. It's February. They've got time to work some things out. However, this weekend kind of made it look like they're really missing Jake Knapp, who was supposed to be their opening day starter, uh, went down uh, with an injury. Uh, I think he needs Tommy John in January. And, you know, like, it's great that, that Boaz, who's a freshman, by the way, has been able to, like, step up and be that guy on Friday night. But they need somebody else, and ideally two somebody else's, to uh, to step up as starters. Like, they're clearly trying to build the, the pitching staff from the back. Like, they have a good bullpen. But they need somebody to uh, to give them some sort of length on Saturday or Sunday because – the, the way that they're managing it right now, I just 
don't really find it to be sustainable once they get into the ACC. And, you know, they have a lot of talent. Uh, they might be able to find the guys. But right now, like, that that looked to be a clear deficit uh, coming out of this weekend against ECU. Yeah, and, and there's arm talent there. You mentioned a few guys. Like, Dalton Pence has been really good out of the bullpen. Um, Jason DeCaro, who they've largely used as a midweek guy, has was excellent against um, VCU. Connor Bover, but... As a whole, I think that that we saw it this weekend kind of rear its ugly head. But as the season gets longer and you know stuff kind of starts to catch up to teams, no matter what it is, like I have a feeling that the hole that Nap left and in, in him being out for the years, um, there are going to be perhaps a few ACC series where it, like we're sitting here on Wednesday or whenever we record, being like, man, if they just if Jake Knapp was still headlining that rotation, that's probably a series win as opposed to a series loss. So um, far from like a sky is falling mentality for UNC, like for me, they're very clearly like, you can't really talk about the tournament this early, but like they're obviously tournament team, like potential hosts. But I think in terms of a ceiling standpoint, the loss of Knapp limits it a little bit. At least it looks at early on. Yeah, if that's not going to be a limiting factor, they're going to need somebody to step up. And it's February. They got time for that. But where they are at now, like they need another starter or two to emerge or some sort of bulk guy in the bullpen, which UNC is great at developing uh, historically. But we've got to find out who it is. And uh, so, I mean, that's what the next couple months are for. But that is something to watch as you uh, as you watch the heels the uh, the rest of the way. We've got such a loaded uh, slate ahead. I want to I want to flip gears to uh, to talk about that. Uh, there was some more intrigue over the last week, to be sure. Uh, we wrote about a lot of it over at baseballamerica.com. So if you didn't hear it here, like check it out, uh, and we'll catch up with some of the other things that have happened over the week as we talk about these teams and what they've got on the on the slate for for this weekend. Uh, and that's what we're going to do here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, 
You deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Peter, both of us are very excited for this week three slate. It is traditionally uh, one of the best in the uh, of the whole season. You've got uh, this weekend the Astros Foundation Classic. Uh, that is the tournament hosted at Minute Maid Park, uh, the granddaddy of all of these non-conference multi-team events. Uh, it's been going on for more than 20 years. And uh, it's got a new title sponsor this year, but that's happening this weekend. You've got several rivalry series, of course, South Carolina and Clemson, as is tradition, and Miami and Florida. So a lot of a lot of great baseball ahead of us. Let's start in Houston, though. Uh, the field this year is LSU, Vanderbilt, and Texas. Those are all top 15 teams, plus Houston, Louisiana Lafayette, and Texas State to round it out. It's a solid field. Field. Uh, all six of those teams are tournament caliber teams. Obviously, the three top 25 teams are, or the top 15 teams are, are host caliber. But don't like just look at Houston. Louisiana and Texas State not having numbers next to their name and be like, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, those are those are good teams as well. And I'm going to have more about uh, UH on the, the website here in the next day. So uh, make sure to uh, to check that out if you want your Houston uh, dive as they go into this tournament and then next week start Big 12 play for the first time. The highlight of the, the tournament, though, is going to be Friday night's Texas LSU showdown, uh, obviously a bit of a rivalry situation. I expect a great crowd for that one. And notably, Peter, this is LSU's first big test of the year. They, they've played at home for the first two weekends. They've played okay. Uh, I know they're not thrilled with the way they've played to this point. They haven't played anybody close to the quality of Texas. So a lot on the line here this weekend as we record this we don't know how lsu is going to line up its pitching staff uh which is intriguing as well so it's a little hard to like really bear down on the like lsu texas analysis without knowing who lsu is going to throw in that game opposite lebaron johnson for texas who is coming off of eight scoreless innings uh against cal poly but 
uh, a very intriguing showdown between the the horns and the tigers on Friday night. Yeah, the field as a whole is is really impressive. I'm happy that you mentioned the and gave some love to Texas State, Houston, and, and Louisiana Lafayette because those three are, are are really solid clubs in their own right. But like you, outside of the Texas Vanny matchup on the third, that uh, LSU Texas game on Friday night is brunch one that I brunch am. with Texas and Vanderbilt on Sunday. I know I'm going to get my ego French toast sticks <laughs> and maybe a, a couple of slices of bacon and, and, and lock in. But uh, no, I'm, I'm super fired up for it. I am really curious like you are to see who LSU trots out on Friday night, whether it is um, Thatcher Hurd or, or Luke Coleman or, you know, whatever coach Johnson has up his sleeve. But. Yeah. I mean, it could be any of the three. It could be Hurd, Holman or Gage jump who started on Thursday last week, his first start in an LSU uniform. Hurd has been up and down the first uh, two weeks of the season. And then Holman's pitched like the best the best of, of the group so far. Holman's been outstanding. I selfishly, just from a, a sheer like watchability, like it's and not any less watchable depending on who they trot out. But if, if Luke Holman's towing the rubber, that makes this a, a heck of a lot more exciting. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how this LSU offense, which to this point has been swinging it well as a team. I think they're hitting over 330. Um, I don't know if Jay would agree with that, but continue. <laughs> like <laughs> I, he he lit up the team. He came out on Saturday after the they or yeah Saturday after they won um, against whoever it was that they played on Saturday, uh, not Stony Brook, and was like, yeah, I just spent the last 20 minutes chewing out my my hitters. So like they, uh, I don't know. The <laughs> standards are high there, obviously though. Well, that I mean, hey, that's why like Coach Johnson, wherever he goes, and especially at LSU last year, you know, the the best is the standard. Uh, that that's what makes them so good. But no, I I'm excited to see how they match up against the Texas pitching staff, which to this point has been one of the best in the country as a whole. Last weekend, they didn't give up an er- didn't give up a run to Cal Poly. Um, it's headlined by LeBaron Johnson, who is on the very short list to take home Big 12 Pitcher of the Year honors eventually. I think they have a a 180 RA as a staff in general. And then behind LeBaron Johnson, Charlie Hurley has been really, really good in the early going. Um, and they've got a, a bevy of weapons that they trot out in the bullpen and that's a lineup that also has been swinging it reasonably well in the early going. I think they're also hitting around three thirty as a team, plenty of depth in the lineup. I've been most intrigued by and excited by the resurgence and bounce back of Jalen Flores. He was always able to pick it on the dirt, smooth defender. Um, got a really good pro body. It, it was just all going to come down to the bat for him. And he's hitting, 344 he just crushed two home runs i think two grand slams he hit at least one grand slam on tuesday um i don't think it was two grand slams but he had two home runs on tuesday against st john's looks really comfortable at the play i think it's two grand slams this season is the two grand slams you're thinking of yes that's better said uh will gasparino has been good going been really good in the early going um jared thomas obviously like it's a really impressive texas team i think that it's hard to take anything away from just one individual game, but I think it, it could be a little bit of an 
an Arkansas, Oregon State feel to it, obviously in the intensity and talent level that you're going to see on the diamond, but also in the fact that it's just going to be a really, really well-played professional baseball game where obviously someone's going to have to lose, but I think that you're going to walk away very impressed with both. And if it goes that like instant classic route, not even instant classic, but just a really well-played route, I think that people are going to be arguably more impressed with Texas just coming out of it. Um, Again, because LSU is the defending national champions, they're, you know, they're they're kind of at the top right now. Um, so I, I I am super super fired up for that one on Friday night. Yeah, I think you're right that if if it's a close game, regardless of who wins, people are probably going to come away saying good things about the Horns. And I just feel like the Texas slander over the last couple weeks or not weeks months has been. I like, I don't get it. Like they're really, really, really good. And people are talking about them. Like they're terrible. Uh, like, I don't know. I have them in my eight for Omaha. Now they don't look exactly like what I thought they were going to look like coming into the year because Tanner Witt has not clearly not been ready. Um, he's still working his way back from injury. And I kind of had thought by now he'd be further along than that. And, you know, we'll see where the rest of the season takes him and what role he ultimately settles into. Uh, but as of now, it hasn't like, I mean, I know that to this point they've played San Diego and Cal Poly on weekends. And so of course it hasn't really caught up to them, but San Diego and Cal Poly aren't bad and they've pitched incredibly well. LeBaron Johnson is just the latest Texas ace and like they're hitting really well and they're fielding really well. Like, I just think this is a really, really good team. And I know they're not in the top 10. Uh, they might be after this weekend though. and you know, I just, I feel really good about them coming in. I hope that they play well to make me look good a little bit. Uh, but like also so that the rest of the country can like come to a conclusion, the similar conclusion, maybe that like, this is a really good baseball team. And I mean, they've just been so consistently good over the last few years that, you know, I know standards are really high at Texas, just like they are at LSU. And so if you're, you know, nobody's going to pat you on the back and say, good job on making super regionals again. Like that's just kind of what you're supposed to do, if not go further. But uh, it's a, it's a really good team with a really high ceiling and uh, they have a tough slate this weekend. They have the toughest slate of anyone. I feel like if LSU on Friday, Texas state on Saturday in a rivalry spot, I know the Bobcats are going to be up for that one. I know that there are going to be a lot of fans in the stands for that one. And then uh, that brunch with Vanderbilt on Sunday. It's uh, it's a tough, tough weekend for Texas. But I do think that, A, we can learn a lot about the Horns, and B, they have the ability to come out looking pretty darn good. Yeah, not only is it a tough weekend where you have two top 10 matchups with number two LSU and number nine Vanderbilt. You mentioned Texas State is going to give them a really good game, I think. I If Texas is able to come out of this weekend with two wins, no matter who they beat, um, that is a, a massive, massive, uh, just win as a whole. And I, they're in a really tough stretch here as they start big 12 play next weekend. They go from this gauntlet, um, in Houston to a midweek with Texas A&M. And then they go to Texas tech to open up conference play. But this is a going to, this is going to be a really, really good barometer. Um, for Texas in a, in a, in a huge, huge test, because I think that 
they have a chance to make a serious, serious statement. I going forward in general, no matter how this weekend plays out, I'm going to, I'm very confident in their pitching staff. I'm just really curious to see how their lineup holds up as they get into big 12 play. Um, namely like if Jalen Flores can keep hitting, um, if Will Gasparino, uh, can keep hitting against conference arms, like Jared Thomas and Peyton Powell, I'm, I'm very, very confident in, but I'm curious if they can kind of sustain this look where, you know, there are five to, to six or seven legit weapons in the lineup. And that's without Porter Brown really getting going. So, uh, I, I don't get the slander at all. I'm with you. Like their one loss on the year is to a solid San Diego team in 11 innings, I think in the second game of the year. So um, one way or the other, I think in the early going, this weekend's going to say a lot about who Texas is and what their their upside is. Uh, let's get to Vanderbilt here. Vanderbilt had a weird weekend or a weird week, I guess, overall we rewinded a little bit. I don't remember if we touched on them losing to Dayton uh, in a midweek last last week. Then they went out and won a series against Gonzaga, but like finished it by blowing a massive lead on Sunday, which put people in all kinds of feels about where Vanderbilt is because that was their third loss of the year. And then on Tuesday, they went out and hammered previously undefeated Indiana State uh, they scored 20 runs in that game, and that's an Indiana State team that can really pitch. They play again on Wednesday uh, as we record this. Who knows what they'll have done against Evansville, but they've been a little up and down, I guess is the the point here. They're clearly trying to figure some things out. I, they don't know. Uh, it doesn't feel like they have a set lineup by any means yet. In fact, I know they do not have a set lineup by any means. It doesn't feel like they have uh, everything figured out in terms of roles on the mound. It's February. They don't need to, but it is, I I think that is, first of all, contributing to their up and down nature in the early going. And it is contributing to some of the angst about Vanderbilt in the early going. Yeah, it's been a, you, you said it, it's just been kind of a weird year for him Um, up and down for sure. It was, you're never going to complain about a series win, but it was a, rather uninspiring and the least loud and maybe most quiet series win as you can kind of possibly have. It was not convincing in the slightest. And I'm with you. Like there's a lot that they're still trying to figure out um, as we get going here, especially on the mound. Like that's kind of the one area that has me concerned early. I knew with the lineup, with the mix of freshmen that they have um, a couple of newcomers, there was going to be some shuffling and, um, largely like they've, they've shown times, especially on, um, on Tuesday against a good Indiana state team that they can, they can swing it, but the pitching staff early is a, is a concern, um, and getting guys out and where those nine innings are going to come from on a game to game basis. And then on a weekend, like where those 27 innings are going to come from and like who you can feel confident in. Obviously Devin Futrell is the guy, like he is anchoring that rotation and then behind him it's kind of like again you got to figure out where those where those innings are going to come from Andrew Dukanich has been outstanding in the early going he was a guy that we talked about as having maybe the the best pure stuff on this on the staff and from an arm talent standpoint he is right there for one of the most talented guys and 
early on he's showing it, but outside of that, like Grayson Carter strike throwing has still kind of plagued him a little bit. Um, we saw it recently. Bryce Cunningham has been solid. Um, Carter Holton is still working back from, I believe, um, an injury he sustained, um, kind of getting his, his sea legs a little bit. And then I, like one guy that I had circled that was going to be a key piece for him. And I, I'm sure that coach Corbin did as well was Sawyer Hawks from air force. He is for lack of a better term has looked pretty rough in the early going. And like, they're just going to need arms outside of Futrell. And I think Dukanich to step up. Ethan McElveen, I think is one, um, who might be getting the ball on weekends sooner rather than later. Uh, he's an exciting arm talent. And then, yeah, it's just a, there's just like a lot of question marks. I know you have some, I know I have some about Vanderbilt um, on both sides of the baseball. And I think that this weekend they have, we talked about the depth of the tournament field, but they have a, as favorable a schedule as you can probably get um, in the tournament. They get Louisiana and Houston on Friday and Saturday before finishing out with Texas. I think, assuming they beat Evansville today, if they don't beat Evansville, like my tune would probably change on them um, a little bit, but if they can come out of this weekend with two wins, even if it, even if that's winning Friday and Saturday and losing Sunday, I think that that's what they need to do to go and take care of business because a one and two weekend um, would, I mean, just simply put, it would not be great. No, no, that that's not what you want at all. Obviously. Um, even in a tournament like this, where it's like, well, like hey, the field is really good. Uh, you laid it out there. Like they, they don't have to play LSU. They don't have to play themselves. So, and they get Texas not on Friday with LeBaron Johnson. They get them on Sunday. Holton and Fitrell are going to anchor that rotation. Ultimately, like Holton is, uh, he wasn't ready on opening weekend to like be the starter, but like that's, those are your two guys that now they have to settle on a third and it's been Cunningham early and, Maybe it'll be Dukanich and who knows what it'll end up being. But like the bullpen is a real issue right now and figuring out the rotation will help some of that just getting later into the season so that they start using their starters further into games will help some of that. But they do need some guys to step up there. They've got the talent for it. They should have the depth for it as well. But right now, that's that's been a little bit of the concern. And so that is something to watch this weekend, uh, particularly, I guess, on Sunday, because they are facing Texas, a team that can hit on Sunday. You know, so we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see with uh, with Vanderbilt where they go from here. But it's um, it's probably not as rough as it's looked. I, I will say that, that like, if you just look at it and you're like, well, they have three losses already. And like, what happened to against Gonzaga? It's probably not that bad. It's early in the season and we're prone to overreacting because that's all we have to react to. We'll see where they go. They could really use a big weekend in, in Houston, I think, to, uh, uh, to build some confidence here. Yeah. Winning, winning solves everything. So they gotta, they just gotta go out and do it. All right. Let's, uh, Let's go to South Carolina. Uh, speaking of uh, some, uh, you know, Clemson had a had a little bit of a weekend of themselves. Uh, they got beat. They got beat on Friday by Kennesaw State. Uh, it was the worst home loss in 
more than 50 years for Clemson. I think more than 70 years. I had to go back a really long time in the media guide. Like it took me so long to find the answer that I don't have in front of me right now. And now I feel dumb for that, but that I was, it was like, I should stop doing this, but I've spent so much time looking. Now I am like committed to know, like I I was merely curious before and now I need to know, but it was a brutal loss to Clemson's credit. They bounced back and won the next two games. It wasn't easy, but they did ultimately get the, uh, get the series win against Kennesaw state. Uh, South Carolina lost for the first time on Saturday to Belmont. They also got beat pretty bad in that game, though not historically bad. Uh, They also come back, win the series, and now we have a top 15 matchup. Uh, The series starts in Columbia, starts at Founders Park. Then they move to uh, the minor league stadium in Columbia on Saturday, finish in Clemson on Sunday. Uh, This is one of the best rivalries in the sport. It's a series that I'm looking forward to, not just from a atmosphere rivalry standpoint, though certainly that, but also just I want to learn more about these two teams. Uh, South Carolina has not played the hardest schedule yet, but they've looked very good um, to this point. And Clemson has kind of messed around for the first two weeks and they aren't going to be able to against South Carolina. This also is a series that traditionally brings out the best in both teams. So I I'm looking forward to this one for, for a number of reasons. Yeah. It's one of, if not the best uh, rivalry series in all of college baseball, like the environment in all three of the the games is going to be in 80. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think that there is a lot to be learned um about both these teams and whoever can come away with a series win um that uh, of course is going to go a long way but south carolina outside of that one weird hiccup on saturday to to belmont where it lost 11 to 2 they've largely cruised um they have a few run rule wins um to its name uh they i i've been most like the x factor coming in for me at least was Roman Kimball on the mound and how he would return from injury. I I'm a huge fan of him, both in the mound presence and then also what he brings like arsenal wise and stuff wise. Um, he's, he's been huge for him. Eli Jones has been really good. Um, Matthew Becker, they've, they've been, they've been throwing it really, really well. And then offensively contributions from like guys that have stepped up, like Dylan Brewer in the early going has been, outstanding Ethan Petrie's Ethan Petrie uh I this is going to be a really fun matchup like you said it's it's going to be a huge test because Clemson's rotation is obviously the the best rotation they've seen to this point by a a wide margin when you you know you've got Tristan Smith Aiden Nock a true freshman has been um he was really good on I think Sunday with six shutout innings against Kennesaw to to clinch the series win um, but like you've said, they've, they've, they were on the ropes and like have kind of fooled around for lack of better phrasing. They took a, an absolute beating on Friday night, um, that you alluded to. We don't have to keep dwelling on that, but Saturday, uh, they were six outs away from, from losing that series. And if it wasn't for, uh, a Jacob Hinderleiter game tying solo home run, and then pushing another couple of runs across, like we're our tune is probably drastically different than it is right now. And they, in their midweek game against South Carolina upstate, who's a solid club, like 
that's a that's a game that the Spartans are obviously going to be very up for. Uh, they didn't pull away until late in that one either. Um, so I, they've been playing with their food a little bit, and they've they've got star power of their own. Cam Canarella has been great. Um, and then outside of him, in the early going, there hasn't been like a ton of production issues outside of Canarella. The offense largely has been solid, but I'm curious as we get into both this series and then, and, and then conference play, how it looks behind him. And if these pieces that have stepped up early, namely Alden Mathis, Jimmy Overtop, Nolan Naraki, and others, if they can kind of continue to be viable options in that lineup, a little bit similar to in, in a different tone, but a little bit similar to Tal Clemson's looked early on in the early going, at least the dynamic of the lineup. And then I know that, they would love to see Will Taylor get going and they can hope that that three for three, three home run performance against upstate propels him and, and gets him going. Cause he's uh, he, he struggled in, in the early going. Um, but the arm talent is exciting. And then I think that it, no matter who comes away with this series, win, um I know that we'll probably be feeling really good about him. I, I think more so maybe, South Carolina, like if the Gamecocks can come away with a series win, it's a little bit like last year where I, I forget who it was, but they had a notable series win and everyone kind of came away from it. Like, okay, um, this team is for real, for real. Um, and I think that I'll probably be feeling the same if they can take two from Clemson. Yeah, I, I do think that that's right, that uh, South Carolina probably needs this a little bit more to prove themselves because there's been South Carolina slander out there too. And uh, I shouldn't even call it slander. It's just that I, uh, I use that phrase with, with Texas and I feel similarly about South Carolina. I don't have them in my eat for Omaha, but I am higher on South Carolina than the, the average college baseball analyst. And I understand where people are coming from uh, when they look at South Carolina, but I do think I guess I just believe that everyone believes in the lineup. I think. I just believe a little bit more in the arm talent and their ability to get the most out of it. So this weekend is an opportunity to show that if it's, if it's going to be the case. And I think people would have to respect them at a little bit different level if they are able to, uh, to deliver this weekend. I mean, on the other hand though, like we just spent some time talking about how Clemson hasn't looked the part yet and everybody had them in the top 10 coming into the season. I, I think uh, so if they're going to, if they're going to be that now, obviously like they got it going pretty late last year. And so like Eric Backage's teams, you can look at his time at Michigan as well. Like they often hit their stride later in the season. They don't start uh, red hot. And, you know, so I, it, it's not like Clemson would be in a, a, a really problematic place if they lose the series, but some of the angst, that, that is out there already like would get amplified if they lose. So it's an intriguing series uh, from again, a number of perspectives, very much looking forward to it. One of the perspectives that we didn't touch on, I mean, I guess you did slightly, Peter uh, is uh Canarella and Petri. And I mean, that's an outstanding duo for 2025 in terms of outfielders at the top of the draft. In Georgia this weekend, you got Georgia and Georgia Tech squaring off again in a series that moves around. Uh, I think they start in uh, 
Atlanta and then go to Athens and then finish uh, at Triple A Gwinnett. That series is not as high profile. Uh, the only reason we're talking, I'm talking about it right now, is that Charlie Condon of Georgia has off to a scorching start at the plate, and Drew Burris of Georgia Tech hit four home runs on Tuesday. He now leads the nation with nine. He's off to an unbelievable start to his freshman year. Peter, if you can pick, like, like does does the state of South Carolina have the better outfielders, or does the state of Georgia have the better outfielders? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Well, for, first, for this question, I'm classifying great. Condon as an outfielder clearly, and that is debatable, and we're not going to get into that debate. But <laughs> for the purpose <laughs> yeah, of this we'll, question, we'll, let's call him a left fielder. Yeah, we'll keep him an outfielder. One, that was an 80 grade transition from the the Petri B Canarella into the Georgia Georgia Tech. That was outstanding. But I, it's again, it's splitting hairs a little bit. I, I'd probably give the edge to Petri and Canarella. I think it's more established star power. Obviously, Conan is a stud in his own right on his way to a, a top 10, probably higher uh, draft choice. Eventually drew Burris has been the best freshman in the country. He's your freshman of the year. That is looking excellent in the early going. One of my best picks ever. Unbelievable. It could not be aging better uh, so far, but I I'd give the slight edge to the state of South Carolina, but on a series in and of itself, like this is, also a fantastic one. Georgia is eight and zero. Georgia Tech is seven and one. It's the classic phrasing, but these two teams don't like each other. It's a great rivalry. In the early going, like Georgia Tech, in kind of typical Georgia Tech fashion, I've been really impressed with with how they've swung it. It Drew Burris is Drew Burris. He's he's lighting the world on fire. But I've been impressed with the resurgence of Peyton Green. Um, Parker Barocious has been kind of a, a great second leadoff hitter down at the bottom of the order. Um, Georgia State transfer Cam Green, Cam Jones, rather, has been contributing both on the mound and in the dish. It's a, I, I think I've been most impressed though with with how they've been pitching it so far. And granted, they haven't the the competition has been far from stiff. Uh, they had an opening series against Radford, and then Cornell with a pair of midweek games against Georgia Southern and Georgia state respectively. Um, Southern's an especially solid club, but uh, they've, they've been throwing it really well. Aiden Finitari has come out and has been impressive. Cameron Hill, after a strong summer in the Cape league, he's been solid. He made his return to the rotation this past weekend. Um, If they can, I mean, if they can pitch, this team becomes a lot more intriguing. And then I think from a, this four game stretch three against Georgia and then a a really fun midweek game against Northeastern. That's going to say a lot about like how legit Georgia tech is early on. Like, is this a potential tournament team? Um, Like, you know, it'll say a lot about them. And then Georgia coach Wes Johnson has gotten off to a perfect start. Charlie Condon has been in terms of, 2024 draft guys um arguably the most impressive hitter to this point um not like not only like he he has 20 hits which i think is top three in the country at this point but every single ball he hits it seems like it's been absolutely torched like the quality of impact he's generating is outstanding he's flashing 
borderline double plus raw power with a plus hit tool to boot. The barrel sense has been excellent. Like he's been, he's been unbelievable. And then they've gotten production from other guys like Slate Alford, most notably Florida Atlantic transfer. Dylan Goldstein has looked good. Colby branch. Like this is a fun, intriguing Georgia club. I'm excited to learn more about the pitching staff as we keep going, but um, both these teams, I think, and especially Georgia, at least early on for me, you can kind of peg as a, a sneaky little dark horse going through the year. And I'm curious to see how Burris does as, as the competition stiffens up, because I have no doubt he'll continue to produce. I'm just, I, I'm really excited to see like how much he produces. And if we're, if we're going to start talking about an historic season, which we already are like my favorite stat that you tweeted yesterday and it didn't get enough love. And I know you mentioned it in his art in the article too, but of Drew Burris's 15 hits, 14 have gone for extra bases. He's got five doubles and nine bombs, and he's got one single. I thought that was like my favorite stat of all. It made me laugh when I read it because it's like, holy cow. But uh, this is a really fun series, and it, it'll get overlooked because of what else is going on. But it, I'm I'm very excited to follow this one closely. It is bananas as a stat and yeah elon fix the algorithm make that one do better uh i think <laughs> i was my- gonna say I, when you when you saw that I, when i saw that i was like oh man that's a like common teddy hill bang teddy cahill banger uh and i was surprised to like go back to it before we hopped on and i was like that's like that's the best stat, one of the best nuggets i've seen this year but anyways yeah, the what I've learned is the internet does not love, or the at least Twitter does not love my like weird little stats like that as much as I do, and like that's fine. I'm gonna keep like finding them and tweeting them, uh, but they don't they don't play quite as well. And also, I threaded that one, which Twitter right oh. now doesn't like threads. I don't think maybe if I tweeted that on its own, it would have worked better. But I think Ch- I threaded it. Speaking of ruined stats, though, Chase Mora potentially ruined another really good one yeah i know you were you're trying to find the last time a freshman hit four home runs in a game and then chase mora did it last year well like people were like going crazy yesterday as as burris is hitting all these home runs much like they were on friday when hagan smith was was striking at everyone out like twitter was very much paying attention yesterday and people were like oh my god he's a freshman and i was like yeah he is a freshman like let me see like what's that <laughs> what's that add to this? And so like, I figured I was going to be looking for a while. And then I like open up the list of like four homer. Well, I kind of have to create the list, but whatever. Like I'm looking at guys that have hit four homers in a game. And uh, there were two last year and one happened to be by a freshman chase Moore at Texas state. So sorry, chase Moore for not paying attention to that last (laughs) year. Um, But yeah, like uh, it was, I I thought that was going to be rare. It turned out not to be, um, or at least not as rare. Uh, but Drew Burris, nine homers in the first eight games. The other thing that is has been was crazy when I was looking into it is it's almost exactly what Tommy White did as a freshman. He also hit nine home runs in his first eight games. He did not have a four home run game. He only had a three home run game on opening day. And I remember distinctly thinking to myself, I don't know if I ever said it publicly, though I may have, like, hey, guys, maybe slow down. NC State hasn't really played that great of a competition yet. And uh, all Tommy White did was hit 27 home runs that year. So, like, the rate will slow down because it has to slow down um, for two reasons. One, like, that's just the way, like, 
things work like regression is a real thing and the other thing is that like at this point georgia tech is playing teams that i mean they want to win the games but like they don't really care that much whereas when they get into conference play if drew burris is still doing this they're just gonna stop pitching to him yesterday against georgia state he got a fastball in a fastball count in his first at bat and he deposited it over the left field fence and it was it wasn't a BP fastball, but it was it was a mistake, and Drew Burris knew exactly what to do with it. Like, I don't think ACC teams are going to do that to him. Like, after that, Georgia State threw him a bunch of breaking balls, and he also homered off of those. But I think ACC teams will skip the uh, fastballs and fastball counts and just go straight to, like, here, hit a slider. Like, hit this changeup. Or here's a fastball off the plate. Like, please swing or don't. It's okay. Uh, and so, like, those two things are going to, contribute to just slowing his his ridiculous rate down but he is really good he probably actually no he should not be in college baseball and if he were bigger he wouldn't be they list him at 59 i've been told that if you go find the east coast pro roster he was 5 foot 7 uh now about 18 months ago he can grow maybe but uh like that 5 foot 7 is probably a little closer to true than the 5 foot 9 it, it- He's a, I mean, don't let, like you said, and and like you said in your piece on him and um, just in talking about him, like, don't let the the compact frame fool you. Like, there are a ton of tools packed in here. You obviously mentioned the thunderous bat speed. You've got the plus raw power. Um, He's also a great athlete in the outfield. He's held down center field well. He's got plus arm strength. Like, there's a like there is a lot to like um even when you start to look under the hood here um and like the operation in the box like i've just been he blew people away with it in his high school days and on the summer circuit and and whatnot but seeing it live at the college level you know you obviously care who they play but like as a true freshman doing this you know i don't like the fact he's doing this is makes it that much more impressive i think um again super super great athlete um both in the field and in the box thunderous bat speed the barrel just i mean it zooms through the zone i love how he extends through the baseball um finishes beautifully and even on i think it was his second home run of the day um he got a 2-1 break like he got a 2-1 break ball he's clearly sitting fastball like he was way out on his front side um, but again, like you talk about the bat speed, like he caught it out front, um, like, and, and was able to, to, to drive it and, and lace it into that netting beyond left field. And like with that thunderous bat and hand speed on display, like it's just a, a really special talent. I'm selfishly very intrigued and excited to see how this looks in ACC play because, He's obviously very talented and and right now the best freshman in the country. There's no debating that. Um, But I'm curious to see like just how good of a player we've got on our hands here, because like you said, the, the quality of pitching is obviously going to tick up. The stuff is going to tick up how they pitch got like how they pitched to Burris. um, Like the sequencing of pit. It's just going to, everything is going to become, a lot better and a lot more advanced. And I'm curious to see how he handles that. He's already signed to play this summer in the Cape league. We're now getting way ahead of ourselves, ahead of myself talking about summer ball, but um, really looking forward to, to seeing how he does um, 
as the competition continues to ramp up. The last thing I got on him is that we also can say like, oh, who have they played? And fair, but he has more than double the home runs of anybody else on his team. The There are two guys on Georgia Tech that have four home runs. He has nine. So yeah, Georgia Tech might not have played amazing competition, uh, but Georgia Tech has other good players, other good hitters, and they are not home rated anywhere near this rate. So, you know, like I, 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 I may be talking to myself more than anything here because in the past I have like looked at players like this and then like, well, but like, let's see him in conference play. I'm like, they're going <laughs> to slow down. That's fine. But like, that doesn't mean that they're bad. <laughs> like Tommy White went out and had a freshman of the year season after starting this way. And I like, there's no reason why Drew Burris can't do that as well. Now he's going to have to make adjustments because they're going to pitch him differently. And, you know, if they're, I'm sure they're already talking to him at Georgia tech about how, like what you have to be selective, like don't let them force you to expand, blah, blah, blah. But like this weekend's going to be really interesting because UGA with Wes Johnson leading them is going to have a really good plan. And we'll see, we'll learn a lot about UGA's pitchers because also the Bulldogs haven't played anyone particularly. I, I think that's a, an incredibly interesting matchup to watch uh, this weekend. It's a little off the radar because there are no numbers next to either of their names, uh, but just one loss between the Bulldogs and the Yellow Jackets. Last one to touch on. There's so many things we could be here all day, but one more. We got the Frisco Classic. That is Indiana, Dallas Baptist, Alabama, and Arizona in Frisco, Texas. IU went out and lost a really dumb game. They should not have done this uh, yesterday. <laughs> they lost to Purdue Fort Wayne. Purdue Fort Wayne, uh, that's a loss. Like I often, like I have said many times that like, hey, any midweek loss is fine. Like doesn't really matter. Like it's not really going to affect you. This one actually is going to stick with Indiana the rest of the year. Uh, unless Purdue Fort Wayne is way better than they were last year. Last year, they were like 286 in RPI. Um IU lost to them at home. So that's going to just stick with the Hoosiers. It snapped a six-game winning streak of theirs. Brutal, brutal loss. This is an opportunity to get right, though. Uh, it's a tough weekend. DBU comes in playing outstandingly. They just beat Oklahoma State last night. Uh, they've been they've been great so far this season. Alabama uh, leads the nation with nine wins. Uh, they haven't played anyone, but they're a good team. And I have no idea what to make of Arizona through the first two weeks of the year, but I do know they're good enough to beat any of the teams in this field. So I, I think this is a fun little compact four-team tournament in uh, in Frisco this weekend. Yeah, you hit on it perfectly. DBU is banging right now. Um, very complete club offensively. Talent on the mound with with Ryan Johnson um, and, and other supplemental arms. I'm very curious to see how Indiana responds to a – weird shocking bad loss to the mastodons of purdue fort wayne they can't let that snowball like it they just gotta i mean they gotta just flush that right away and get and and turn the page because they can't afford to come into this weekend at all dwelling on what was because i mean you open up with bama and ben hess like that matchup with i selfishly from a draft from a yeah, draft could this not have been ryan johnson versus ben hess uh, yeah, I well that and also even Connor Foley for IU. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you like 
you've got Ben Hess, and then the following day you've got DBU who like you talk about a test for an arm like Connor Foley, that's a huge one. Like that that lineup is gonna be one of the best he sees potentially all year. Um and then Arizona, I think that they are a better than expected team early on. I'm curious to see like what kind of problems they cause in the Pac twelve. Mason White is a, a very, very good player and a premier sophomore. Uh Brendan Summerhill's been good early on. They have some intriguing talent on the mound with um, Anthony Susak and a few other guys. So this is a very fun four-team field. There are no easy matchups for anyone, no matter how you slice it. Uh, so I think, again, similar to the baseball at the beach, a little throwback to two weeks ago, whoever can come out of this with two wins to its name has to be feeling really good. Uh, shout out to the guy in my mentions uh, from the weekend who was like, Oh boy. The fall is coming for Indiana or something like something about calling oh, wow. Indiana a fraud. And then like two days later, I was like, damn, that guy, he was all over it. <laughs> like the Ides of like the Ides of March. Except yeah. for February. It was oh, it was it was it was big Ted slander a little bit because what it was was responding to how bad Iowa was over the weekend. It was like the Big Ten is is just a bunch of frauds and Ugh. just wait till this weekend, Indiana's gonna get found out. And I was like, Well, you didn't even have to wait till the weekend. You know, I I don't know what to make of that loss. Um, I do know that they're going to be ready on Friday. Uh, and they, they've got to be because, like you said, Ben Hess and Alabama are no joke. I, I just think this is a really uh, – this is a – like you said, this is a, a weekend where whoever comes out of this with two wins, whatever two or three teams come out of this with, with a winning record, can feel really good about themselves. And if you go 0-3 or 1-2 and this weekend, like – it's going to sting and it's going to hurt, but like, it's not as bad as that's going to feel like in all likelihood. Um, and, and, you know, Todd Whitting, the, the Houston coach told me this um, specifically about the, uh, the Astros tournament, which he has a ton of experience in over the years. He's coached in 14 of them uh, that you're never as good as you think you are. No, you're never as good or as bad as you think you are coming out of minute made. And look, Frisco isn't that, but I do think that you're not, whoever comes out of this with losses, you're probably not going to be as bad as you feel coming out of this weekend in Frisco. Um, you might be as good as you are, as you feel if you go three and O this weekend, like that's on, I am willing to concede that that might be the case, but the, the losing team or teams this weekend in Frisco, it's probably not going to be as bad as it feels at the time. Yeah. I mean, whoever, whoever comes out of this, three and if someone comes out of it undefeated like that's as big a statement as you can make and i will say it's going to be dallas baptist if anybody does it that i'm calling my shot here that i i got i, I got like dbu not, if, if anyone's going three and oh this weekend i got dbu i like it i all right i'll i can't be the i can't let you be the only one to make a call that'd be unfair and kind of leave you on the stake i'll take for a three and oh weekend i've I got Indiana. I think they're going to, I think they're going to bounce back. Uh, I, I like them as a whole. I think that while that Purdue Fort Wayne loss will unfortunately stick on their resume, especially the RPI for the rest of the year, it's a, you've got a golden get right weekend here. Granted it's against really, really stiff competition, but if you win two or three here, if you're Indiana that you immediately forget about what happened on Tuesday. Um, so 
I, I, I'm a hopeful and, and bullish on them to kind of bounce back and then not to prematurely close the book on Frisco, but one, like one more multi-team event that I'll be focused on is the Las Vegas college baseball classic. I think that's a really sneaky field, mostly looking at you, Cal in Oklahoma have that Saturday game between the bears and Sooners golden bears and Sooners circled. I think that Cal early on looks really good. And I think that they're going to take a lot of people by surprise in the pac 12 and they're only going to get only going to get better with Ian may coming back. Um, Oklahoma has some fun pieces. Braden Davis on Fridays is a guy that they have to love trotting out. He's got a plus change up um, fastball into the, 94 95 range that he hides well and then the witherspoon brothers and then some supplemental pieces offensively with uh spikerman jackson nicholas easton carmichael um those are two really intriguing clubs so i will mostly be dialed into that saturday game between um cal and oklahoma but i'm curious to see if cal can come out of this with another like series win equivalent because we discussed them for the top 25 on Sunday, and if they win two more games, they will very much be discussed again, uh, depending on what happens. The, uh, the other two teams in that tournament are Pitt and Ohio State. And don't look now, but Pitt is 6-1. and one. Uh, I mean, you can side-eye their schedule if you want, but they're 6-1. and one. Uh, They obviously haven't played at home yet. And Ohio State is 4-4, four and four, but it's a – they were – they were messing around with almost winning a four game series at Arizona state last weekend. Like they ultimately split it. Uh, but it's uh, that's an intriguing one. Uh, there's like, there's so much where I'm going to run through some things real quick here that we're not going to talk about, but like, just know that literally anywhere you look this weekend, you will find good baseball. You've got Florida at Miami, uh, obviously a rivalry, a little bit, uh, not as exciting because Miami has, you know, Miami is what they are th- this year, and we don't really know what they are yet. But it is uh, J.D. Ortega's first uh, uh, first time being in charge of his alma mater for that rivalry series. Uh, you got South Florida and UCF in another rivalry in the state, that one hosted by UCF. Uh, Indiana State is at Southern Miss. That is like the under-the-radar series of the weekend, although uh, it would be a lot cooler if Indiana State had been better against Vanderbilt. I don't even want to say like, won the game, but just not got blown out on Tuesday night. But both of those teams off to really good starts. UCSB is going to Oregon. That is a venue shift uh, due to ongoing problems with UCSB's field. Uh, UCSB really needs this one. Oregon also off to a sneaky, quietly good start. So interesting series there. Iowa seeking a get right weekend goes to Ole Miss, uh, kind of in a just looking to jumpstart its season interesting series in Oxford and then UConn seeking a get right weekend after getting swept at Berkeley goes to Auburn. I wish the Huskies luck with that, uh, but that will be a good, like that's just not where you want to go needed, needed to get right. But uh, that should be a, a pretty solid series as well. Yeah, no, I mean you, that was, that was it for what I had circled. And then like elsewhere, you have the, the Dodger stadium College oh, yeah. baseball classic. I think they're calling it like you anywhere you look in any region of the country, um, there's great baseball being played. So this is, this is a heck of a weekend and it leads into um, like, it's a perfect segue into the start of conference play and, and more marquee matchups. Like 
we're in the thick of it now and it's it's only going to hopefully keep getting better as we we keep going further along absolutely the dodger stadium classic uh this year traditionally that's usc and ucla co-hosting and then they finish at dodger stadium this year for whatever reason usc is not involved it's ucla and uc irvine which frankly is better because irvine is undefeated right now uh and usc is decidedly not um but that i'm just glad to have that one back at dodger stadium the finale uh, it hasn't been there since 2019 due to renovations, mostly. I think some COVID mixed in, but uh, with the Dodgers hosting the All-Star game, there was some renovation. They couldn't use the stadium. So I'm glad that that tournament has returned to its uh, original format or close to its original format because uh, I was concerned that it just wasn't going to, that once they'd stopped they, for like five years, they were just going to be like, well, why are we, why are we even doing this? Uh, but I, I'm glad to see that one. Uh, that went back and UCLA looking for a get right after uh, getting swept uh, at TCU last weekend, one of the series we did not get to. We will have plenty to talk about next week on uh, another edition of the Baseball America College podcast, obviously, since uh, we had so much to talk about on this one in terms of preview. Uh, So make sure you are subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And Peter, I realize that I just like shout out Twitter all the time because like that's what I've done forever and I'm a lot older than you. Uh, but like, do you want to shout out your other platform? Because like you're 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 probably even bigger on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, like Twitter, uh, I I'm constantly on the uh, the good old bird app um, from really any time college baseball is being played just pumping out analysis updates reactions and, and whatnot but over on baseballamerica.com a lot of a lot of stuff and content going on over there as well um i have my weekly what to watch for piece which by the time you're listening will be up um where i dive into five series slash multi-team events and and kind of just chop it up how we did here analyze it a little bit um what to expect and then every monday teddy and i collaborate on the top 25 every Thursday or every Friday, rather uh, draft podcast with draft writer, Carlos Colazzo. And then every Thursday, like you're listening to now we have our college pod. And then a little bit more down the road, I will be releasing in three weeks in initial 2026 ranking um, for those keeping track. Those are the true freshmen in college right now. So hint, hint, you'll probably see a guy that we talked about a lot at this, on this episode at number one, um so there's a, a ton of con it's a it's a content blitz um rather for for from now until really through the end of the cape league season which is the second week in august so it for me it's the best time of year it's also the busiest but it's the best time of year peter's got a lot of stuff going on as well obviously and uh yeah so make sure you check out baseballamerica.com we we will be busy this weekend we're looking forward to it. Hopefully you are too. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you all next week on another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. See you then. After the end of a good fight, Deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.